All right. Well, let's continue in uh, Ecclesiastes. Uh, we're looking at, we finally made it to chapter 5. And so far we've been saying that the, the general threads that we see, these two big threads, is uh, Solomon observing life under the sun. So in terms of life that is observable. And saying if that's all there is, then life is hevel. That life is a vapor. It's meaningless. Um, it's vain. And then he'll shift and he'll do observations about life under heaven. And he always goes to the same conclusion there as well. He says uh, basically that we are under the, the superintending of a sovereign good God. And so we can receive the good things of this life. Um, and we can do that by, from his hand. And we've been doing this for four chapters, back and forth, circling back around. Uh, and and you would think there'd be some kind of a conversation about religion, right? Religion is the way that you connect heaven and earth. This reconnection or relegging uh, is religion. And he really hasn't talked about it until this point uh, in uh, chapter 5. And he's going to say some things that religion should not be, and he's going to say some things about what religion uh, should be. And the way he frames this is in, in Ecclesiastes 5.1, the very first phrase there, he says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. And so he's describing going to the temple. Um, and this is where you, in the Old Testament, you worship God. Now, uh, it's not saying that God's only at the temple. They definitely understood that God was in all places. Um, but he uniquely revealed himself at the temple. So if you really wanted to encounter God, you wanted to, 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 to be in relationship with God, you needed to go uh, to the temple. And Solomon gives us a warning here. As you're going to the temple, watch your step. Now, that usually means you're going to potentially you know, step on something or step in something, and uh, that could be bad. So there there's, must be a right way to approach God and a wrong way to approach God. And indeed, that is what uh, Solomon is is teaching in this in this section. And the temple itself communicated this. Like it communicated uh, a reverence for God. Uh, it was a large building. It was ornate. It was being tended by priests in very special holy clothing. Everything about it said, watch your step. Right? Like, like you are approaching a, a holy uh, God, and this is a sacred uh, place and a sacred God. And, and so Solomon is uh, talking about how do you approach God appropriately. And, and he's going to talk about three different areas. And those three areas are sacrifice uh, and words and vows. Sacrifices and words and vows. Uh, so this first idea of sacrifices. So let's go back to the first verse there. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near, to listen, is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they are doing evil. So first thing we want to talk about is this idea of sacrifice. So he calls this the sacrifice of fools. Now, going to the temple, you definitely would go make a sacrifice. Like, that would be one of the main reasons that you would go, and you might make sacrifices to atone for your sin. So that would be a sin offering, or you might make a sacrifice to declare praise or thanksgiving uh, to God, which would be praise and thank offerings. You might offer up a, a, a sacrifice to declare your unconditional uh, surrendering to God, which would be known as a whole burnt uh, offering. And it 
would seem like what's happening at the temple is merely a, a transaction where you give God what he wants. He wants these animal or plant sacrifices, and then God would give you what uh, you want. But that's not at all what uh, the Old Testament worship uh, was about. It was a, a means of expressing something in the scene that was happening in the unseen, right? This, this offering up of a seen sacrifice that came from life under the sun uh, was really representing something that was going on uh, in the unseen. And we, we need this because we live in this life under the sun. We live in the seen world. And, and so it's helpful for us. It's a mercy from God to be given things that are in the seen world that are ways of expressing that which is um, in the unseen. The problem is when those things that are being offered in the scene are disconnected from a genuine unseen reality. That, that, that's not okay. Just offering up uh, religious stuff without really having a heart that is relating uh, to God. And so this, this kind of uh, problem is condemned in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. So in the Old Testament, you read verses like Hosea 6.6 6, where he writes, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God, rather than burnt offerings. Uh, he's not saying sacrifices are unimportant. I mean, God commanded his people of the Old Testament to offer sacrifices. But what he is saying is when they're disconnected from a loving relationship with God, then they're worthless. They're a sacrifice of fools. They're absolutely uh, foolish. Uh, Jesus picks up on this verse in Hosea 6.6, 6, and he's talking to some religious leaders who've done this very thing of disconnecting their outward religious life with their inward uh, love for God. And he says this, As Jesus reclined at the table in the house, uh, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And so here Jesus is loving tax collectors and sinners, uh, and, and, and doing that from a genuine internal love that's, that's coming from uh, his very core. And the religious leaders are looking at that and saying, oh, he's, he's doing something wrong because he's breaking some kind of religious rules. And so this disconnection of the external religious activity with the internal relationship uh, with God is condemned both in the Old Testament and also in um, the New. And what's really scary... <laughs> It's usually you don't know you're doing it. I don't know if you caught that phrase. For they do not know that they are doing evil. That's, that's frightening. That you're offering up the sacrifice of fools and you are clueless. You do not know that you're doing it. And you might say, well, how can that be? How, how can you be offering up something religiously, but it's not really connected uh, to your internal uh, genuine love for God? It's pretty easy to do, actually. We are, are so easily self-deceived. It is part of the nature of sin, is that we, we are self-deceived. And on top of that, uh, that self-deception is propped up by false religion that's all around us. And so we just begin to imbibe the, the same kind of religious ethos that 
uh, our friends and neighbors are participating in, and it doesn't take long, and we think we're actually offering something up religiously that's genuine when, in fact, it's not. There was an uh, interesting uh, research uh, article that came out. Uh, actually, Megan put it in our Slack channel for, uh, for staff, and it was a, a research about young adults in America uh, with Christian background. And out of the research, they, they kind of classified uh, these, these young adults in four different uh, categories. So 22% of them who grew up in the church said they're not Christian at all. They're, they're ex-Christians, right? 30% said uh, that they are Christian, but they don't go to church, and they don't participate in any kind of religious activity. So they would be known as nomads. Uh, 38% were what were called habitual churchgoers, right? They went to church, but they really didn't pray, read their Bibles, share their faith, give you know, gen generously to their church, none, none of that, just kind of go to church. And then 10% is what the research study called resilient disciples, who actually profess to be Christians, they, they attend church, they're involved in their faith, they pray, they read their Bibles, they're actually following uh, Jesus. And so when you look at that, you, you see it, only about 30% are in the hot or cold category. 70% of those are in this, like, I profess to be a Christian, but I'm really not doing anything about it. And so we don't have to look too far <laughs> to find this disconnection between an outward profession or an outward uh, participation in maybe a church service, but really not a, a, a genuine inward uh, love uh, for God. I mean, how many of us would find ourselves in that same kind of place where we would say, you know, prayer is important, Christians should pray, but we don't pray. Or uh, we, we would say that, you know, reading your, your Bible is important and studying Scripture and, and encountering God through Scripture is so important, but we don't read our Bibles. Or, or we would say, you know what, it's really important to share our faith with our neighbors or share uh, the gospel at work with our colleagues but we don't share our faith uh, with, with our, our neighbors and colleagues. Uh, how many of us say, you know, it's very important to pray with our children and uh, teach them scripture, but we, we don't do it? Or, or we say it's so important to participate in global missions and to pray for missionaries and to be a part of uh, global, uh, global mission mobilization, but we don't do anything about it. We, we don't pray for a missionary. We don't give money. Um, and so we, we think of it that way, and we start to realize, oh, it's, it's actually pretty easy to fall into this kind of false uh, religion of professing one thing externally, religiously, but internally, really not genuinely loving God. And this, this sort of nominal Christianity uh, that we find a lot of in America, it is a sacrifice of fools. It is worthless. I mean, if, if we're doing it thinking that we're like, checking a box or scoring points with God, it's the exact opposite. We are offending God. That, that, that's part of what uh, Solomon is driving in, in this text. So how do we get ourselves out of this self-deception? How, how could we be saved from this, uh, this, this false sense of, of, of religious expression that's disconnected from an internal reality. Well, I think the, the, the way we get out of this is in part this next category, this, this category of words. And so again, I'll, I'll read this first verse and following because there's a lot of talk about words. 
when you go to the house of God, uh, to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they're doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven, you are on earth. Therefore let your words be few, for a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. And so when he, he, he speaks of words, uh, he, he's essentially saying you need to be more receptive to the words of God and less rash with your own words to God. Right? Be more receptive to the words of God and be less rash with your own words to God. God. It's sort of like when, when the, in the book of James he says, you know, you should be uh, slow to speak and quick to listen. Uh, and I think when James is talking about that, uh, he's talking about, you know, interpersonal relationships with human beings. But here Solomon's saying you, you need to be really quick to listen to God and slow uh, to speak, to minor on your own words and major on the words uh, of God. And in part why this is so helpful in terms of rooting out false religion is, is that your words reveal your heart. I don't know if you caught that. Verse 2, be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. And you may think, I thought my mouth uttered words, not my heart. Well, actually, uh, it, it's where those words are coming from. It's where those thoughts and those meditations are coming from. And eventually they do reach your mouth and they come out in the form of words. I mean, Jesus spoke about this quite a bit. Um, in Matthew 12, uh, again, he's talking to religious leaders about their hypocrisy, and he says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you on the day of judgment, it will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you'll be condemned. So Jesus is saying the same thing. He's saying what, what reveals what's inside is what comes out of your mouth. Uh, and, and, and Jesus is saying to this to those religious leaders of his day, not to be mean to them or go, ooh, I gotcha. He, he is trying to, to root out the religious hypocrisy. It, it is a mercy that he is saying these things to them. And he knows that the only way he's going to be able to get up under that religious hypocrisy is if, he, if he's going to confront them at the air of their words. And so when he says your careless words or your hasty words is what Solomon says, uh, he's saying, we're getting at what's going on in uh, your heart. And so from both Jesus and Solomon, we're hearing we need to talk less and we need to listen more. Now, am I saying, you know, don't talk to God? No, that's, that's, that's not what uh, we're getting at here. But what we are getting at is that you should approach God in a way that is receptive, right? You should be listening to God and his word in that listening posture, it makes a whole lot of sense, right? If this is, a, is the sovereign good God who is speaking words to you, ought you be more inclined to listen to his words than to be speaking at him with your own? Uh, I mean, think about uh, Solomon's argument here. He says, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. 
Therefore, let your words be few. <laughs> Notice he's, he's doing the heaven-earth thing. This is one of the few places where he connects the two. And the, and the way he's connecting the two is that God is speaking. God, uh, the God of heaven is speaking to those who are living on earth or those who are living under the sun. And he's saying you need to stop talking at him and you need to listen to his words. This is in part why we preach sermons. I mean, I mean think about this. The, the message is in part being communicated by the mode of the communication. It is a one-way communication. There's someone who's is preaching the word of God to you. You're sitting, you're listening. There's no discussion. There's no dialogue. Now, there's certainly times when we do discussion and dialogue. It's very helpful uh, and it's necessary. But, but there's something to the preaching moment where you're, you're sitting, you're receiving the word of God. Uh, it's also why we, we try to uh, get you to read your Bible. <laughs> We, we want you to be in a listening posture. Even the way we would train you uh, to pray, we would, we would want to teach you to pray the, the words of Scripture back to God, that instead of just kind of blah, you know, God this, God that, that you would first read Scripture, and then in light of that Scripture, you would praise God. In light of that Scripture, you would confess your sin. In light of that Scripture, you would make requests for yourself and for others. And what this does, it sets you up to be in a, in a listening posture, a receptive posture to the words of, of God. For he is in heaven and we on, are on earth. So, so the right thing to do first is to hush up and to listen to the word of God. And then in light of that, then to talk to God, to pray back uh, his words. Now, how do you know if this is really working? Right? How do you know if, if this listening of his word is, is really getting up under our religious hypocrisy and changing us? Well, this takes us to the third uh, area uh, of religious life, and this is vows. Vows, number three. And so in verse four, he says, When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. There's that fool's fool word again. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. You know that you're rejecting religious uh, hypocrisy, uh, the disconnection between externals and internals, when you actually hear the Word of God and you do it. You obey it. Uh, in the context of a, an Old Testament religious vow, you would have gone to the temple, you would have offered a sacrifice, you would have listened to the Word of God, and then you, you've made some kind of commitment. You'd say, okay, in light of this grace and mercy I've received, this truth I've received, I'm going to do this. And you might even tell one of the attendants in, in the temple for accountability. And then how would you know if that was true religion or false religion? Well, the way you would know is that when you got home, you actually did the vow. The words that you spoke when you were feeling very inspired at the temple and you were in the beautiful uh, the beautiful building and, and talking to the priest and smelling the sacrifices and hearing the word and singing the songs and feeling all inspired. What, what did you do when you got home and things weren't feeling so inspiring? Right? That's how you know that, that you've rejected false religion and now you are uh, embracing both the, the external obedience but internal um, reality. And notice it in, in verse uh, 6, he explores this idea more. He says, Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. He, he describes this vow-making 
and then going home and not doing it as, as leading you into sin. You, 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 your, your mouth gets way ahead of your actions and when you get home you don't do it and, and you, make a, you say, I made a mistake. I shouldn't have done that, right? You, you make a, an excuse and, and it says your, your very vow led you into sin. You might think of it like a marriage vow, right? You, you, you stand before God and others and you say, I'm going to be married to you till death do us part. Uh, and then if later on you get a divorce, you've now sinned. Why? Because you made a vow in marriage and now you, you've sinned. If you'd stayed single, you wouldn't have made the sin of divorce, right? And so here he's talking about uh, commitments to God and then going uh, and, and not doing and following through on those um, commitments. And you may say, well, why does this really matter? I mean, why, why, why is it such a big deal? And... Uh, uh, again, he, he gets into this, right? Uh, again, verse 6, Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase, the words grow many, there is vanity. But God the one, is the one you must fear. And so he's saying when religious words are not coupled with a, a genuine internal love for God and obedience to God, it makes God angry, right? It makes God angry. And, and so it's a sin against a holy God. And what a holy God does against sin is, is his wrath, right? His, his anger against uh, sin. And you say, well, why is that such a big deal? Well, because we are created to be his image bearers. And the, the way that God is, is that he is perfectly integrated. His inward intention, his inward thoughts, his inward vows, his inward commitments always are externally fulfilled perfectly. And that's, how, that's what we're built for. We're, we're built to be perfectly integrated. That what we say we're going to do, we do it. Every time God says he's going to do something, he does it. And so when we don't do that, we're not bearing his image as he intended for us uh, to bear uh, his image. I mean, this is the heart of the Old Testament law. I mean, think about this. Is, this is one of the, uh, the kind of most important verses in the Old Testament to, to describe the heart of the, of the law. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. It, it, it starts that section saying, God is one. He's whole. He's holy. And so therefore, what you should do is you should love him with all your heart and mind and soul uh, and strength. That, that whatever you say you're going to do, you do it. Right? It's perfectly aligned, both internal and externals. Right? And this is, this is what God's like. His word is his action. He says, let there be light, and there's light. From the very opening page of the Bible, throughout the Bible, whatever he says is done. There's no hypocrisy in God. And so, as his image bears, we are created to have no hypocrisy in us. I mean, the, the New Testament has similar things to say, right? James 1 uh, talks about being a hearer of the word and the doer of the word. He says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, 
and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So similar to what we hear Solomon saying and what Jesus uh, is saying, that this hearing the word, uh, uttering religious words and platitudes, but not following through and obeying those words. This is worthless, right? James says that there in verse uh, 26. And so the, the, the kind of catchphrase for this idea of not just hearing the word, but heeding the word uh, is the fear of God. And you see Solomon finishing up that section in verse 7, talking about the fear of God, that, that this relationship with God resulting in actual listening to his word, obeying his word, uh, fulfilling vows. Now, initial response to this should be, I am in trouble. I am in trouble. Um, all of us find ourselves going through religious motions. Uh, we'd rather talk at God than really listen to what he has to say uh, to us. And when we do listen, uh, we often f we fail to follow through on the commitment. Uh, or we follow through, but it's external only, and there's not an internal reality that's coupled with the external uh, obedience. And so we are, we are in trouble. Uh, thankfully, God has made a way for fools like us to be saved. Uh, he has made a sacrifice, not of fools, but for fools. Uh, fools whose religion... Uh, is false. Fools that have uh, come up with uh, a religion of our own making in order to, to save ourselves. Uh, and so God has, has saved us from that and has, has given us his grace and his mercy uh, so that we could be forgiven of that kind of behavior and be given grace to repent from that kind uh, of behavior such that our, our inward life is transformed and recoupled, it's reintegrated into what we're doing externally uh, in obedience uh, to Him. And, uh, you know, this was one of the, the, the parts of my own story that I, I had to be awakened out of as a, a high school student, having grown up in a church that would be considered a sacramental church where... Uh, at least the way I was experiencing it, the sense was if you if you came to church, you took communion, you went through the steps that you were in. You you were a Christian and you were right with God. But then you would leave church and then I would just live the rest of the week just however I felt like it. Full, full of, of lust and of, of, of greed and not really thinking about God the, the whole week. Unless I really was in trouble and needed something bad, then I might, you know, send up a prayer. Um, but my my daily life, my weekly life, was completely uh, separated from my Sunday experience of going to church and checking the box. And I was a complete fool, and I was completely unaware of it. I had no idea until I was around some Christians who were sharing their testimonies and sharing about their daily life, their daily relationship with God. Uh, describing confession and, and repentance and spiritual growth and intimacy with God. And, and when I heard that, I knew I, I, I don't have that. 
I, what I have is some kind of religiosity. I don't have that kind of a, uh, an intimate relationship with God. And these people weren't perfect. It wasn't like they were always perfectly you know, re, uh, integrated in their internal externals. Um, but I could tell that, that they were moving toward wholeness. They were moving toward being uh, supernaturally reintegrated in their internal and external uh, life. And I wanted that. And so it, it started me on a journey of, of exploring what the gospel was and offering up my own internal life and my own sin that I knew uh, that I needed forgiveness uh, from Christ, my Savior. And it was there that I began those first steps of, of living a life in Christ that was not just some religion, but, but it was actually a relationship um, with God. And so if you find yourself in that place today, uh, where you know you're just you're going through motions, you're checking religious boxes, uh, you don't really have an, uh, a true, genuine relationship with Jesus. Uh, I'm telling you, He has come to save fools like us, and so to, to confess that to Him, and I, and I think one of the one, one of the things that you start to 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 think about, you think, well, if I'm going to be religious, you know outwardly and it's going to be coupled with my internal life that now I, I just have to try harder. Honestly, what, what kicks this off is, is confession. It's confessing what's in there. Confessing uh, a lack of, of love for people, a lack of love for God, a, 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 a treasuring of sin, uh, all those things, letting those things out in confession un, unto God and, and allowing that internal to begin to reintegrate and recouple with uh, external life. And so, you know, that, that was the beginning of, of my journey, but you know what? It's an ongoing process. And I, and I think all those that are listening, and you, you are a Christian, you, you've trusted in Christ uh, to forgive you of your sins, uh, this is an ongoing process where you are constantly being reminded by the Holy Spirit that your, your externals are not integrated with your internals and, and so needing that, that ongoing confession and repentance and allowing God to, 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 to reintegrate uh, internal and external. And it's all made possible by Jesus. <laughs> the one who was absolutely perfect in both his internal life and love for God and others and, and his external actions. And it was this one who, who was perfect, who was then crucified on a cross in the place of fools like us. Fools that were offering up empty sacrifices, empty religious activity to save ourselves. And he, he could see that. And he could see that we didn't even know what we were doing. Right? I mean, he even says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So if in this, again, this moment, just being, being awakened to those realities, whether you're uh, one who's becoming a Christian for the first time or perhaps someone who you are a Christian but you just needed a, re a reminder of this reality of false religion, of allowing this one who's come to save us uh, to uh, transform you in an ongoing way this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we do confess to you that we are oftentimes going through motions. We're um, checking boxes. We're, uh, we, we, our hearts are far from you. Our hearts uh, are far from uh, loving others. And 
we, we confess to you, God, we're, we're unable to change that. We, we desperately need your grace, your mercy to forgive us of that, Lord, to, to transform us um, and, and to make us into um, better image bearers uh, that are reflecting the God that you are, the God whose word uh, is always accompanied by perfect action. Thank you that your word, your promise uh, to save us from our sins, to, to, to die on a cross and to rise from the dead and your word to come back and, and, and get us, Lord, and, and, and bring us into a new world. All these promises we know are going to be absolutely uh, fulfilled by your action. And so we take great comfort in that, Lord, and we uh, ask for your grace this morning uh, to make us more like you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.